four of the Take the Hill podcast. So, Dennis, welcome back to the studio. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Man, I can't believe we've done 34 episodes. Yeah, that is quite a quite a list for. You know, I only remember two of them. So, oh no. <laughs> Well, we have an excellent show today. We're going to welcome into the studio Kate Bodner, uh, who is beginning a wonderful and amazing career where she's blending performing arts with virtual and augmented reality. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about that today. Uh, we're also going to get into some of her time abroad. Uh, everybody knows I'm a, a big proponent of taking the opportunity to travel or even study abroad because uh, it adds uh, perspective and brings a lot of back to you in terms of your career and just even personal growth. Uh, so like I said, we'll, we'll learn a little bit about her journey here shortly. But, you know, to get things started, how's the week going, Dennis? Hi, actually doing very well. Um, I'll turn my phone off there. Sorry for that beat. Um, actually, pretty good. Uh, busy. I'll tell you what, it just seems like it never ends, you know? And, uh, but uh, had some good classes. Uh, just like we talked in the last uh, podcast or the last video, um, I went and did dinner again at the. Uh, again. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but man, they got the greatest food, I'm telling. And they just keep throwing me new stuff to try. Fantastic. And, uh, it's, it's great. But they, they treat me very well. So really, it's been good. We're coming, we're winding down on the semester. So it's starting to get a little stressful. But overall, students are still, I'd, I'd say they're they're still connected, but I think they're getting the itch for the spring and the summer break. Right. And you had a chance, it was kind of fun to have you in my classes this past week uh, to yeah. do a little bit of a guest lecture related to ethical leadership. So Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it's always exciting. Like you said, I know we work at different universities, so it's cool to pop in periodically and kind of have the opportunity to work again. Kind of like the yeah. old days a little bit. So I was, uh, and then we just want to, uh, Angelo, one of our partners, dealing with a personal issue today. We're just, uh, you know, our heart goes out to him and his family. Um, I was going to talk to him today about why I'm growing my hair out, <laughs> thinking about doing a mohawk like him. So All right. I got to get it to. What well, is a little unusual it seeing you without up. a hat on? So. Yeah, I tell you, I left it in the car. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> right, have it on. But yeah. yeah, well, it's becoming a trend. So it is. Well, like I said, it'll be Dennis and I anchoring the show today. Angelo, like I said, we'll be back here, uh, no doubt, in the near future. Uh, but again, like I said, we're always thinking of him and uh, look forward to having him back in the in the studio. So, all right, well, let's. Uh, what do you think? You ready to get started? Yeah, ready. Okay, well, let's get going and let's welcome Kate Bodner to their studio this morning. Welcome, Kate, to the Take the Hill podcast. It's wonderful to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, everyone, Kate Bodner is a Pittsburgh-born, London-based creative with an accent that is as global as she is. She moved to London in September 2021, and she graduated from King's College London with her Master's in Big Data in Culture and Society. Kate has created opportunities for herself that allowed her to move to Ireland, Australia, and the United Kingdom. 
and she could not have done this all by herself and is very grateful for the support she's received from her parents, friends, and professors along the way. She always knew that she wanted to traverse the globe, and she wants to help others create a similar path for themselves. So in addition to the degrees in the world traveling, she's also a professional acting training allowed her to perform across the world. You know, Kate has performed in international festivals like the Dublin Fringe Festival and at the National Institute of the Dramatic Arts in Sydney. What's really exciting is her passion for theater has not has allowed her to embark on a career as a creative in the extended reality field, which we're excited to learn about today. You know, she's really focused on crafting meaningful experiences and immersive performance using augmented and virtual reality. And she cannot be more excited to fuse these passions together. And believe it or not, in her free time, Kate takes advantage of London's vibrant culture offerings by visiting various expeditions and dining in unique restaurants and expanding her palate at different wine bars. So we're going to learn a little bit about good spoons and what exactly that means. So <laughs> any of you in our audience looking for tips on where to go in London, we're definitely going to make sure you stay connected to her. Is so. it spoons that musical instrument that, you know, I play? Think so. <laughs> but I uh, think in this case, probably something a little bit more tasty. In uh, okay. okay. <laughs> right. So. Kate, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you go from you know a child here in Pittsburgh to even just getting into the performing arts? Like, where did that passion come from? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely not have a had a traditional trajectory in my life. Um, I always loved performing. I started dancing whenever I was three years old, and you know, like most other kids, you have your mom and dad film you running about the house, performing <laughs> with all of your neighbors, and that's kind of how I got into it. Um, I did my first musical whenever I was in sixth grade and it just really ignited something inside me and I knew from then on I wanted to be an actress so just kept performing audition for Point Park and absolutely loved my time at the conservatory and now it's really informed what I've done with the rest of my life so <laughs> so what was that first play that you kind of did that sparked that connection to the performing arts um so we did um oh I think it was I'm pretty sure it was Oklahoma okay. um <laughs> and I was a dancer in it and that was something I loved I'm I'm not the best singer I will admit so I didn't really kind of lip sync throughout all of it I was just like okay. I don't really want to open up my mouth and ruin this song but it was just something about being in you know a company of people where you're dancing singing everything you're working together discovering new things and scenes and that's just really what I loved is just how much you have to get to know yourself and your fellow castmates and how much you have to give to other people. So it's very much so a give and take and, you know, you're all in it together. And it's just really it's an amazing experience, stressful at times. But at the end of the day, once you walk off the stage after your final bow, you're like, look what we did. It's just it's really an exciting thing. So yeah. if he, Patrick and I could sing a few bars and you'd probably appreciate your <laughs> your talent a lot better. So. <laughs> I'd love to hear it, honestly. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we try not to let him sing too, too much here. So. <laughs> so what was it like then? You know, you have some of that early taste, like you said, as a child in, in Oklahoma and several other performances, I'm sure, along the way. So mm -hmm. what was it like then when you got into the conservatory? 
and then started doing that as as the foundations of a potential career? Yeah, um, it it was just it was really inspiring to be around everybody else who had that same exact drive as you. And, you know, you're in class and we did kind of, if we're looking back on it, sometimes it sounds crazy whenever I explain it to other people. Like I go into voice and speech and, you know, we all lay on the ground and figure out where your breath's coming from. And you do these exercises where, you know, you're feeling like your toes and just letting go of everything, seeing your body like go around. And I mean, it sounds mad to most people, but it's, it, that's kind of whenever I realized, wow, this is really it. Like I'm really getting all the training I need and you're taking voice and speech classes. And it, I don't know, it's just, I loved being able to have something to work on what, every week, having different scenes, working with your scene partners, having to break down everything. It just made me realize that this is what I want to be doing. I was so excited to work on everything and getting into different classes like directing um, my movement classes I loved because you just get to learn more about your body. Um, so yeah, just really kind of put me into the here and now of like, wow, like I'm actually doing it. But then also that imposter syndrome creeps in where you're like, oh God, is this, is this really it? Am I going to be great? Like, so it's, it's kind of, you're amazed at one point, then you're like, oh God, I don't know at the same time. So just really but teaches you to, you know, have confidence in yourself, I think. But there's a, a distinct cultural difference between the conservatory and perhaps other programs, right? Not yeah. saying one's better or bad or whatever mm -hmm. you know, in terms of comparing them. But when you walk through the conservatory, there's an energy. There's a vibe. Like it's it's just like you, you can't help but not notice it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I've always you know told you know, the folks that are they're working in our department, like, I want to kind of take that feeling and that vibe and I want to replicate it in every other program. Mm. Not exactly easy to do, but how is that? Like you said, I think, how does that then, like you said, you're, you're so focused in, in, in terms of, you know, breathing and your body and movements and practicing, and you're just refining your skill set on such a deep level mm -hmm. that you can't help but be passionate and excited. What did you learn from at least the training you know, during your time with the conservatory that then kind of spilled over to other pursuits in your life? I think it's, it's having the time to really break everything down um, and just really get to know yourself, what you're doing with quite a precision, but also being willing to try something different like say that we're in, you know, we're trying a scene in class and my professor is saying, this is your intention in the scene, but I'm not getting it. She, she'll, he or she, or whoever my professor is may say, oh, let's try something a bit different and let's go with this tactic. And you're like, well, this sounds a bit silly in your head, but then you're like, you know what, let's do it. Let's try it. And you do some crazy weird movement and it unleashes something in you. And you're like, oh, that's what this scene meant. So I think with being willing to do something that's so, you know, traditionally uncomfortable, it makes you be able to say, okay, like, this is what path I thought I was on. I can go this way, I can go that way. And that's what I've also taken in my own life where, you know, I've 
thought I was going to be an actress and, you know, live in Ireland where I lived or, you know, be in Australia, but everything kind of changed. And I think from my acting training, I was able to just, you know, be able to go into myself, figure out what I wanted and then be able to say, okay, this was my path, but let's try something different and see how it is. And I didn't consider anything that didn't exactly work straight away a failure. So, but that's also what you do in acting. Sometimes your scenes aren't going to work or you, it won't be your day, but the next day you might nail it and get it. So just being really do other things that aren't traditional, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I have a, I have a question for you, but before I ask that question again, my experience uh, when I was teaching face-to-face -face at Point Park, I had a lot of students from the conservatory and their commitment was just, it amazed me in comparison to other students. Again, like Patrick said, I'm not trying to compare or say one's better than the other, but just the commitment level. And uh, I would watch you, not you, but other students walk into the classroom after dance class or whatever, just so wore out, but then they would give 100% in class as well. Uh, and it was in a business class where they probably, you know, why am I here? But but I really appreciated them when they were in the class. They contributed at a high level. Um, but I'm sure that had something to do with your commitment level. Uh, you do, I mean, you actually have time to have some outside uh, stuff that you could do outside of work because it seems like you're busy all the time. And uh, Yeah, it, it's just, I think, that passion for continually developing your craft you know, and I think that goes for all of us, all of us as people too, you know, you may have, you may be an X, Y, Z job, but you just have to kind of keep developing yourself as a person or else you kind of feel a bit stagnant. So yeah, that's what I do outside of, you know, researching and everything. I'm always networking, always going to different exhibitions. Just two weeks ago, I was in Brighton at um a show and tell event at um, a company called Fusebox. So I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but, um, you know, it's, it's something that I need to keep researching. If I want to be working in the extended reality field, I have to keep meeting new people. And at the event, um, one of the, uh, contributors there, he pulled out the new HTC Vive headset and I'm not sure if it's been released or not. You probably have to fact check me on this, but it's a pass through mixed reality headset and, if I'm not putting myself out there and keeping the commitment to developing my skills, I wouldn't maybe be at this event. I wouldn't have been seeing the newest headset. So yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I know very little about this subject matter, but, but um, so how did you fuse together your performing arts with augmented and virtual reality, which is a new concept to me. You see the gray hairs and I mean, <laughs> When they came out with the microwave, that was a big deal to me. So, <laughs> when you start talking about, you know, virtual reality and that, I see these videos where people were falling off cliffs in their living room. And <laughs> I mean, explain to us, how did you, how did you fuse that all together? Yeah, I mean, and also don't discount yourself. There's always time to learn about anything. So you, who knows, maybe you'll pick up a VR headset and be like, this is what I want to do. And completely change your career so never ever think that it's too late well, I thought it was going to be too late to change and I did you know I want to learn how to play guitar and play all the 60 greats but I don't know hey you <laughs> can do true. it if you put your I mind to it I think we got a good <laughs> new uh new topic for another show Kate that you're gonna have to come back on we'll do one with a bunch of VR headsets 
Yeah, I would honestly, I would love that. And just kind of, I think the best part about VR sometimes is watching people in VR where, I mean, I've I've seen myself videotaped in VR and I'm like, what am I doing? Because you, you know, you can lose sense of everything. Um, but yeah, kind of to get back to your question there, Dennis, you were saying, how did I fuse, you know, my passion for theater and extended reality, which encompasses augmented and virtual reality? That was the question, right? I wanted to make sure that I'm... That yeah. is perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, so to be honest, like whenever I was finishing up my second degree at Point Park um, and I was applying for different programs in the UK, I had to write my, um, they called it a personal statement. So that's where you apply and say what you want to do with your career and, you know, kind of your hopes of what you could achieve in university. And whenever I was looking through the modules at King's College, I saw they had virtual reality modules. And I started researching a bit about, you know, theater, VR, because in 2020, some theaters started to offer their plays through VR or live streaming. So I was like, this is definitely something that I'm interested in. And I just kept, you know, doing my own research. And from the minute that I got to King's College, I started contacting various people in, you know, the VR department and a different creative department saying, hey, look, I want to do my dissertation about something with VR and theater. You know, my dissertation changed like eight times, but I just thought this is what I want to do. It's something that made me excited. Um, and it's something that came naturally to me. Theater is something that has literally followed me since I was young. It's followed me through each country that I've lived in. And it's something that whenever I talk about it, I, I I just get excited. People have said like, oh, your eyes get bigger. Like you can see you get more um, animated. And I, I just find the concepts of, you know, working in augmented reality, whether it's, you know, an app that you have, you know, like you, you can have these crazy experiences now where you, you have your mobile phone like this and uh, creatives can take you down this journey, down like a road and, you're using your phone and hearing different stories and you're on this theater piece on your own. And I mean, who would have thought about that? It's just, it's so cool. Or, you know, there's pieces where you can go and it's, there's a piece in, um, in London called the gunpowder, gunpowder plot, sorry. And, um, you, it's an immersive piece. So you're following these actors in the tower of London, taken back to 1605. And there's three different areas where you put on physical virtual reality headsets. So Dennis, kind of like what you were saying, you're you're seeing people falling all over, but you're you're one of the people where you're in three different types of um areas. One of them you're sitting in a, a swing, one of them you're in a boat, one of them you're um standing with a headset that's tethered to a computer and kind of looking around. And it it's just fascinating the way that it brings you so much more into the moment. So I'm not saying everything needs to have virtual reality. But I think it's really enhancing people's experiences, especially since the pandemic. I think we want more from, you know, what we're going to see, because I was kind of thinking this this morning. I was like, if there was another lockdown, I would love to be able to go to some, you know, immersive piece and really feel something and then be able to kind of hold on to that and say, OK, it's going to come back. So maybe that's what we're all craving right now is just deeper interactions with reality around us. No. 
maybe you've never been to Disney World or or not. Or I I've know. never been. But, never been. Um, I mean, I just got, <laughs> I just got back a few weeks ago and I rode the ride, the new ride, Ratatouille. Mm. And I mean, it, I think it's 3D more than. But you ride around, you think you're in the kitchen, and I actually like got dizzy, like a you felt different things. And mm -hmm. so for me, it was just like, wow. So I got to get me one of these headsets and try it. My grandson has one. I'm just going to have to get it and try it. <laughs> and, uh, you should. Yeah. And you bring up such a good point because like you said, you can walk around someplace, like for example, the tower of London, right? Mm -hmm. You could see things, you can experience things, you can listen to guides and it's, it's one thing, but like you had said, imagine standing like, for example, outside of like Trader's Gate, right where you're looking at that and and all of a sudden you put on one of those headsets and like it just transports you back to that period of time and mm -hmm. you go from one experience to this newer deeper deeper level of an experience yeah thinks in some ways resonates a little bit different than what you maybe just experience in real life a little bit i can't yeah. wrap my brain around it i really can't <laughs> <laughs> of course my brain is pretty tonight. small it doesn't wrap too far a bit so yeah. what's going to happen is we're going to go on a little bit of a road show to london and yeah, okay. you'll be able to give us a tour and we're going to start right. we're going to have to check this thing out i'm all for it yeah. Absolutely. yeah honestly come on over i like i always tell people like i'm not even joking i'll give somebody my email and be like please contact me like i love being able to show off you know i call it my city right now i'm I'm on a visa, but hopefully we'll get on a new visa by 2024 and I'll be closer to getting citizenship. But I love being able to show off where I live. It's amazing. So please contact me. I'm not joking about that. I'm deadly serious. <laughs> so, so yeah, we could talk forever probably about, I think that that infusion of augmented reality and in, in, in performing arts in general, I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, but before we kind of move on to some of your global you know, adventures, when you think about your career and the degree you just wrapped up, can you, if you're allowed or free to speak a little bit about your research, maybe tell us even at a high level, perhaps, you know, what is it that you researched and why, where it's going and the exciting part of it, perhaps? Absolutely. So I'm just going to talk about it briefly, just because right. um, I, I did have to have ethical clearance, but I can tell you right. at least what I um, studied and I am hopefully going to look more into how to get it published um I do need to get a whole different set of ethical clearances and um, make sure it's okay with the multiple people who I interview but that's something I'm kind of thinking about maybe doing um so if it would ever be published I'd be so happy to share because it's I I think it's amazing but I'm also biased <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so my dissertation it was about how the concept of the fourth wall in immersive theater has changed in virtual and augmented reality. So I wanted to explore how, you know, the, the fourth wall has changed so much over, you know, decades and hundreds of years, et cetera. And before I go any further, does should I explain the fourth wall yeah, again? Yeah, I was going to say, okay. so for the folks who might not be familiar with the performing arts, like what, what is the fourth wall in, in, in terms of a theater performance? Absolutely. So the fourth wall, um, one of the oldest definitions is to picture the fourth wall as a set of walls literally around the performer. You're looking at a proscenium stage 
the fourth wall is the barrier right between the audience and the actor. Um, now, for me to basically explain the fourth wall in a way that everybody will probably understand is that if you think about um, the show The Office, and do you know Jim, one of the lead characters, how... Oh. You know, he does these little things where he's like, da, 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 da. Then he takes a look at the camera and does some little face or maybe says mutter something under his breath. That is breaking the fourth wall where he's taking a moment to inform the audience of his true feelings, maybe let them in on a secret. And that same concept that is clearly visible through... um television and probably everybody has seen the office is exactly how it is in theater now the fourth wall has changed because as we've you know discovered new types of theater in different settings it's no longer just a device where you're like oh yeah I have to say a little tiny something it it's changed to like eras were bracked and playwright was using it to comment on political statuses and different types of things going on in the world so it was being broken for different reasons, you know, where Shakespeare broke the fourth wall just to say, oh, hey, this tiny thing is going on. Brecht was saying, oh, let me like release my political commentary. Um, but now in immersive theater, immersive theater is a style of theater where you go in and maybe you're seeing a show in like a warehouse. Like if you think of um, Sleep No More's, um, the name's completely gone out of my head right now. Oh, that's okay. Oh, wait, no, it's called... Is it called Sleep No More? Yeah, it's called Sleep No More. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's Punch Drunk who does it. And I was like, oh, what's the name? <laughs> that happens um, so many times when Dennis and I are teaching or doing something. We'll just look at it and so like, I know I'm supposed to say something. <laughs> <laughs> right? right, you're just like, everything's gone out of my head. Where is it gone? Um, it's worse. Oh, no, don't. Don't tell me that. It's just going to get better. It's going to get better. <laughs> Um, so like if you go to Sleep No More in New York, um, you walk into this warehouse and the actors are all around you. So that's immersive theater where you're going and walking through this set and you can sometimes physically touch the set if you need to. And maybe an actor will come up and, you know, grab you. And that, that's a way of breaking the fourth wall. The fourth wall is then like kind of how I picture it nearly around the, the audience member, you know, and sometimes they break it. Um, Sorry, I've gone into a lot no, of it. It's, it's completely fascinating. <laughs> and it goes back to, I think, your point earlier where it's, yes, it's an amazing experience to go to a theater or anything within the performing arts. But to your point, we we're, we're seem to be now kind of seeking a little bit more. Yeah. More connection, like a more intimate experience. It's going to kind of literally almost pull you in in a very immersive way. Mm -hmm. And so you, you your experience is just that much more enhanced. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it it really does pull you in. And I mean, immersive theater, it's it's been around for a while. It's nothing that's like super new, but I think people are craving just more immersive experiences in general. Um sorry, I've gone off there again. So and no, <laughs> similar to your research where mm -hmm. technology is accelerating, people it are getting is. a little bit more not even daring but courageous with mm. the type of theater that you normally experience and you're stepping outside of maybe some of those traditional mental models and saying yeah. hey look how we can tell this story now mm -hmm. right 
And it, it's it's maybe the same story, but it's a completely different experience because now you're really almost literally drawn in and actively participating. Yeah. And you're right. You are actively participating. And I think the most, one of the most beautiful things I think about extended reality and immersive performance right now is that you're getting people from many different walks of life. You know, you have somebody who may not know anything about technology go to the show and they'll be so amazed by the graphics etc you may have somebody who goes who knows a ton about it already and is impressed by the acting and I think there really is something for everyone in these shows and you know if we really study audiences and their demands and not their demands but what what they have walked away with from the show you can keep developing and I think you know, you have to keep that creative aspect there, but you also have to listen to the audiences and what, what they want as well. Um, as so, to, forward. so to add on to that, I, I guess I want to ask this question. As we have learned, you've traveled a lot globally. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so how, I mean, have you done this throughout your travels? And how do the cultures in different countries, how do they embrace this? How do they accept it? Um, so whenever I first moved to Ireland, I there was a lot more um, there's a lot more plays than musicals per se. So I'm more you know straight drama based. Like I said, I'm not a singer um, at all. I can dance decently, but I am not a triple threat by any means. <laughs> um, so the one thing I loved about Dublin is that there was a lot of um smaller theaters so a lot of like free plays you can go to um a lot of it was a lot of the plays were about Ireland and Dublin and it's just they have such a sense of um continually telling their stories which is nice I feel like sometimes in America we bring in a lot of other plays about different cultures to represent you know um kind of who we are because we do have a ton of different cultures but Ireland is kind of nice where they just really love to, you know, talk about Ireland. (laughs) But I mean, I probably love that because I'm not from there and I loved being able to get to know the culture by going to different performances. Um, But yeah, whenever I was performing there, I did the Dublin Fringe Festival, which was amazing. Um, It was a really just great sense of community um, as you were going through the festivals and we had artist passes, we could go see other shows and it's just it was so cool to see some of the shows that they would create and the show that I was involved in, it wasn't a heavy, um, heavy dialogue piece. It was um, more like movement based and it's, it was kind of like, I don't want to say it was like a fever dream, but it was like something that you would think of in a dream. It's not, it wasn't a super traditional play. And um, there were the two women who, um, for, I think oh the two women who worked on the show they have a company called Junk Ensemble and the two sisters who founded it were are actually from Pittsburgh um they they're obviously Irish now but the Kennedy sisters um I think that they're from Pittsburgh but they had a connection p- to Pittsburgh and it was really cool to see them my parents actually came over and saw the show so they got to see me in the Dublin Fringe and I was like this is such a proud moment <laughs> um yeah, it was it was really cool. And then I did a lot of other like smaller plays. Like we did 
I did a small festival in the National Gallery in Ireland. So it was cool because we did um different, there was like a series of five or six different plays about um portraits in the National Gallery. So I just loved how many like small intimate productions there were. Um, there obviously were bigger productions like musicals like once, but it wasn't, you know, as big as like the West End or Broadway here. I think the one thing that I would love to ask or get your sense of, you know, you've had the opportunity to not only kind of live in London for a little while now, but also mm -hmm. Ireland and Australia. What have you learned about, you know, from the opportunity to be able to travel mm -hmm. as extensively as you have? Oh, what haven't I learned? No, there's one more like a better question. <laughs> um, I think one of the things I really learned is that like, to, for me, this sounds a bit mad, but like home for me isn't necessarily like where I grew up, but it home kind of became this concept of like how I've grown up. Um, I know that sounds a bit bizarre, but I, I started to come to realize that whenever I was living in Ireland, I was like, this is home now for me. But home is like how I'm growing up in Ireland, what I'm learning. And it's bizarre because I, I would say to mom and dad, like, oh, I'm going to go back home. And they'd be like, back home where? I'm like, oh, Ireland or oh, Australia or oh, London. And they're like, wait, this is your home. And I was like, yeah, but home can be, I guess, multiple places now. It's not just, oh, um, Jefferson Hills, Pennsylvania. It's all these different collaboration of countries and it's not a where but more of a how and I know that doesn't make sense because home is a noun right I <laughs> now I'm just nervous I'm like I'm forgetting now, you're, now oh. you're getting into territory I think we yeah. both struggle a little bit so <laughs> but I love I love how you put that I've probably grown up probably six times in my whole life I'm actually mm -hmm. growing up right now getting ready for uh retirement so that's going to be new to me I'm going to have to adjust to and just start like a little kid again and, and yeah. find different things that are going to, uh, I don't know, motivate me or a passion or whatever. So I really yeah. love how you put that. I've never heard that before. So, I, could, I don't know if it's proper English or be wrong, but also congratulations. Yeah. Retirement is, you know, it's a huge thing and it's an achievement for you. And like you said, it's going to be a, pro a different process. But like you yeah. said, you've grown up six different times. I also think like um, the other thing I really value about traveling is kind of the process of reinvention. So I don't know, Dennis, if you've kind of felt like that, like you've had different parts of your life where you're like, oh, I have to like reinvent this, I have to reinvent and yeah. reinvent that. Not that it's bad, but you're just taking little parts of you or these aspects that you're like, okay, let's just rework it. Don't want to get rid of it, but let's just bring it up to a different level. So, yeah, I, I've spent many years pretending to be a scholar. Um, <laughs> you so, are, <laughs> but no, it, it, it is. But so I want to ask you another question. I mean, your your life is so interesting. And and I could probably t sit here and talk to you all day, but I know we're, we have time restraints. But I know Patrick and I may be coming to Ireland next year and maybe we can get together. Um, so. So. What was the best piece of advice that you received or were given to help you in your journey? I remember reading this question yesterday and I was sat there like, oh my God, what is the best piece of advice? Oh, putting like, you on the spot, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just um, one, right? I know. <laughs> also, 
thank you so much for telling me that my life's interesting because sometimes I look at it and I'm like oh my god I'm 31 years old I don't have like a proper career yet I've you know I'm not you know I'm live. I don't even know which country I'm gonna live in yet so sometimes I, I look at myself and I'm like oh god I need to get my act together but um and I'm also when come over I'd love to see you guys um yeah so what am I gonna say so I wrote this down yesterday and it's very simple, but one of the best pieces of advice I was given is keep going. And I know it's just two words, but one of my um, old professors gave it to me. And I mean, I just keep thinking that like I've gone through so many periods as everybody has, where you're just kind of sat there thinking like, oh, I, I just don't know what I'm doing. Like, is this the right step? You know, when, when I was thinking, should I move to Ireland? Should I go to Australia? Is applying for my master's degree right and I just kept thinking okay just keep going you're just gonna do this just keep on just whatever path is gonna come up for you that feels right just keep going and always be willing to say yes and that's an improv technique and I always think it's better to say yes and than no so always oh, be willing to open. if I could give you a piece of advice right now mm. listen to that piece of advice mm. keep going <laughs> So, because again, I just, I, I, I find you so interesting and, and <laughs> actually um, you have me thinking because I thought, yeah, I'm going to retire. Is that like a death sentence or is that a chance to travel the world and experience new things? And, yeah. and you know, and, and I might do it with a walker, but, you know, hey, <laughs> still get to do it. Um, so what advice would you give to our audience? Oh, um, I feel like I've said this before. Um, I feel like everything that just happened is like uh, gone out of my head. But I would just say, be willing to take the untraditional paths and opportunities that might be presented to you. Um, and I mean, I look at my life and if I wouldn't have, you know, said yes to the girls from Ireland, whenever they asked me, hey, do you want to move to Australia? after I was at home in Pittsburgh for two weeks, I wouldn't have lived there for two years and met some of my, met my housemate now, met some of my best mates who I have in London. So I just think like if those opportunities come up and you think, oh, I, I don't know, I'm a bit scared. If, you, if you're scared for a bad reason, obviously don't do it. But if you're scared for a good reason, do it, see what happens. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. It's never going to be a failure. At least you've tried it. So I'd say, yeah, take those paths and those opportunities as like untraditional as they may seem. You know, we let that word control us too much. I tell my students and anybody that's ever worked for me, that word failure, we've really, mm. we've really put a bad meaning to that. Mm. And, uh, you know, and we've built this culture that people aren't allowed to fail. Mm. And that's part of the process. That's part of, that's part of that growing up that we Absolutely. need. And uh, I encourage people, I don't encourage them to fail. I encourage them to embrace the failures and to utilize them in a way that will enhance their life instead of always thinking, oh, I'm not allowed to fail. Because mm. people stop living when they start worrying about failing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not certain. trying to be philosophical or anything. But, <laughs> yeah. No, but it's so true because I think. You know, a lot of us go out and we make these plans that, that tend to be very linear. Like if I could just do point A, then I can get the B to C and I'm going to get where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe that's good sometimes. But I think 
the the reality is it's very nonlinear, right? You may start off aiming for a particular point, but you could end up in many different other pathways. And I think it's that journey that ultimately creates our end products, you know, whatever it is we want to become. But we end up being so much more well-rounded. Like you said, you may have never ended up in Australia, right? You never met the people that you have met if you didn't take the chance. So yeah. it, well, it's great. Perfect examples, Patrick and I, when we had this concept of starting a podcast, it was funny. Well, let's just go on there and we'll do, I mean, it has grown so much since we, mm. the concept happened and I forget, were we sitting in a restaurant or something and or your house or something and, and we just said, hey, let's do a podcast about what? And <laughs> we, I have grown through the process because I've met so many interesting people and They've encouraged, they've, um, there's another word I'm looking for, influence. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of words I could choose. Um, now I'm not saying every single time we've been on podcasts, I've been like, ooh, wow, we, ooh. But <laughs> I have to say, you have you have caught my attention. Thing, you know, to kind of tie up things a little bit here is, mm -hmm. you know, I loved when you talked about kind of, like you said, your time at different locations around the world and kind of having the courage to take those opportunities. Yeah. Um, but it also ties back to community. And you talked about your training in the theater in those early days where, you know, you, you were trying a technique and maybe it wasn't working and your, mm. your professor said, you know what, try it this way. I mean, or yeah. try it this way, as crazy as it sounds, right? Just as crazy as it sounded to maybe move to Australia. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> ireland right but it's those things and those different techniques that i think not only enhance our craft and our yeah. perspective and our vision but oddly enough it connects us even more as human beings by the people around us mm. because we're there right and Absolutely. it's those relationships that i think are central to your experience and our experience i think in in our own guest here on the, in the podcast itself um, but that's kind of the reoccurring theme, you know, that really, yeah. really makes amazing things happen. So yeah, it does. You need you need your support, and especially like whenever you make big life changes, like going away, you really value which people are you know going to be there for you through you know thick and thin. So yeah, community. I do have to ask. I do have to ask you this one question. Mm -hmm. So as you travel the world and live in different places, what is the one food? that you can only get in America that you miss? Oh, oh, to be honest, anything at Trader Joe's, anything Trader Joe's makes. <laughs> um, so like, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Whenever I, um, I took my first like little break to go back to um, America quickly over a reading week um, in London. And I'm not joking. I came back, half of my suitcase was full of Trader Joe's things. <laughs> wow like everybody just loves it and like I know the spices are like a bit silly you know like you have like everything but the bagel and you know different <laughs> ones like that but people are like I love it and me and my housemate you if you would see our spice cupboard you would probably be either impressed <laughs> or horrified because like three-fourths of it is Trader Joe's things but wow. yeah anything from Trader Joe's that's such a common experience though, right? I know when <laughs> the first thing our kids ask is like, what food did you bring back? Yeah. Like, things from like that location, like do they have that are not here? So that's yeah. so cool. Which, oh, I, mean, I didn't tell you what a spoons was. Yeah. Sorry, so before we go, fill us in. 
<laughs> what is spoons? Because I don't even think I remember hearing that when I was in London. But I did find potato jackets. They oh, lovely. Cool. Most definitely. Right. That was awesome. And I had, I mean, food is good everywhere. Like, everyone knows I'm kind of a foodie. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to stop talking. What is spoon? Because <laughs> I do not know what that is legitimately. <laughs> so, spoons is short for weather spoons. So, weather spoons is, um, it's a type of pub. They buy basically old uh, buildings and then they re they renovate them and they're known for really, really cheap drinks. They keep the lights on high, no music. So it's literally like bare bones. But um, the one closest to my uni um, at King's College, it was on Chancery Lane and it used to be an old bank. And it is a stunning, stunning spoons. They literally have like a mural on the top of the ceiling and the toilets are impressive. The toilets or the bathrooms. I'm not kidding. They're the coolest bathrooms ever. They're oh, they're really cool. But um, so if anybody says like, oh, let's go to the spoons, that means well, weather spoons for cheap pints. <laughs> wait a minute, you can't just say the bathrooms are cool and leave it at that. Why would they so cool? <laughs> so okay, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was kind of like Greek themed. Um yeah. so, oh, that's so you like you walk down and then you go into the bathrooms and like in the women's there's um like hanging from the ceiling there's this little like square shaped thing that the water comes out of and then there's like these chairs and then there's these individual cubicles like they're full length and there's like little mirrors and then there's this like greek goddess st statue in the middle <laughs> i will take you it is so bizarre but every single person who i've taken is like oh it's just a spoons who cares and then they're so impressed so that's really cool. Yeah. Well, certainly <laughs> as our itinerary when we we're there. So we'll have to yeah. have to visit some spoons and and definitely yeah, I'm looking forward to going to the bathroom and, and, and <laughs> I'm, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you should though. It's so cool. I've had I've literally taken some of my mates and they've actually taken their cameras and recorded the bathrooms because they think that they're that cool. <laughs> Well, Kate, it's been an honor to have you here today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We love learning about your journey, your enthusiasm, and your excitement and energy uh, that you're kind of moving through like your own story with. Um, so we're certainly excited to stay connected with you. Um, in terms of our audience, how can how can we stay connected? How can we follow your journey? Oh, that is a good question. Also, thanking thank you so much for having me. It was obviously we talked about it for a while, and it's nice that it's you know happening and hopefully yes. happen again in London. Um, I would say email is probably the best way. I have an Instagram, but I don't really use it a ton. Um, so I'm very like old school email. So if anybody wants you know to ask me questions about London, if they reach out to you, you can feel free to give them my email. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of kind of boring in that way I don't have in, like a huge Instagram following or anything <laughs> no that's perfectly fine it's funny we joke all the time about how we should probably do a little bit more marketing and PR in there but you know we we put some stuff out occasionally but like you said we just love talking to people like to us that's yeah. where energy is, is kind of residing within so I get it so awesome <laughs> well Kate honestly it's been a pleasure Dennis any final questions yeah just same thing it's been I don't want to repeat what Patrick said, but it has been a pleasure. It's been, I, I've enjoyed meeting you. I've enjoyed your story. And hopefully we can connect here in the future sometime. And uh, I look forward to it. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, everybody. 
Tate Bodner has just left the building uh, after a fantastic interview. Dennis, I think we got to learn a lot about not only you know her, her upbringing in terms of performing arts, but also how she really began to integrate you know augmented reality and virtual reality, uh, which is kind of a uh, interesting shift I think for performing arts and yeah. great insight in terms of traveling as well. I look forward to learning more about it. Yeah, we will. So we have four questions submitted uh, this week uh, from our audience. Dennis, yes. any particular interest? Do you want to take the first one? Sure. Read it. And um, it all right. It's all you. Julia Oscar from the business management major at, uh, I believe, Point Park. Right. Um, she says, I have two job offers that I am trying to pick from. One pays a lot more money and the other pays significantly less, but it's something I really want to do. Should I take the higher paying job as it will get my career off to a great start financially, or should I do what I love and hope the money comes later? And I would say to Juliet, I cannot tell you what to do. <laughs> um, I would not want to... It, like I could advise you and say it's simply advice. It's simply me saying what I say. And I'm a person that always, always have done what I like to do or what really is a passion for me because I've done, I've done the financial thing and I was never happy. And I used, in my experience, those were the miser most miserable times in my life when I was working for somebody just for finances or just for money versus something I do that I really had a passion about, like, like teaching. I don't even know if I get a paycheck. I think my wife says I do, but I would show up here regardless to teach my courses just because I love teaching so much. And it really doesn't really have a lot to do with money or I wouldn't be here. Trust me. Um, so it's really hard to say at a young age when you're in debt for school loans and this and that, do you start off for the financial and hope for something better? And who knows, maybe you'll even enjoy the place that pays a lot more. Um, that I can't answer, but I can tell you what my experiences were. Patrick, what well, about you? Yeah. I mean, it's a tough decision either way. Right. I think, um, as you said, you know, we're not, necessarily in a position on this show to give you financial advice as follows because everybody's circumstances are, are different um but to echo what you said dennis you know i i too have always been somebody that didn't necessarily always focus on the compensation um you know understandably the anxiety around student loans uh car payments making enough to pay for an apartment or a house or you know, just being able to put food on the table, you know, those things obviously need to be done. Um, but at the same time, there's also a lot to say about, you know, kind of having courage and faith that over the course of your career, things are going to work out, right? Because you're doing the things you should, you, you're doing the things that are going to get you in a position to be successful, you know, whether that's degree, training, you know, making connections in the field. Um, so likewise, you know, for me, I would tend to lean towards, you know, if I can do it and maybe I have to get another job, but doing the things yeah. that I love, because I found maybe a little bit later on, it's, you know, the, the further you get into your career, a little bit harder to to make those significant transitions. Um, not impossible. 
Yeah, as you know, Patrick, for what last 15 years, I've been teaching as a temporary faculty member at four different universities. And now I'm just finally getting a permanent tenure track position. So, but I was okay with that. And uh, I did well because I had worked, but it was tiring. It was challenging. And, uh, but again, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to do for what, you know, again, it, it, it's not an easy answer. There's no easy answer. So question number right. two, Patrick, it's on you. Oh, all right. So question number two from Echo Romeo who is a audience member from Singapore. Mm, uh, they wow. submitted a question. I know. Very cool, right? Uh, yeah. They submitted a question that says, Hi, Angelo, Dennis, and Patrick. Uh, what have you learned about leadership from hosting the podcast? This is all you. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say that from our very first, our very first podcast with... Uh, with um oh wow name just left me sorry Lee Cockrell. Lee Cockrell sorry who Lee has become a good friend of ours as uh, and he's been here a couple times but I would have to say just that I don't know that I learned from every experience or every podcast something new that I can apply to my everyday life or apply to my leadership uh, style. So even like today, you know, just being more open to taking risk and maybe doing something that's outside my comfort zone. That's what I learned from today and just enjoying the process. And, uh, and I've learned from every podcast. So I think every podcast offers something to put in our toolbox uh, about leadership. Cool. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's um, so first, it's a great question. Uh, but as Dennis said, you know, we've we've interviewed so many people from a wide array of industries, fields, roles. Uh, and I think the one takeaway is that, you know, leadership isn't necessarily you know a role or a position and and it's the person out front all the time or you know leading the pack or, or being the most vocal you know leadership comes in all different shapes sizes formats beliefs perspectives uh and so i think that's to me is something that yeah i learned but i also like reaffirmed that again mm -hmm. it's not always the stereotypical definition of what we think of when we think of leadership so yeah. for me, I think that's that's the thing that is amazing here in that we get to illuminate, again, that wider variety of people who are doing many different things, but exhibiting leadership at the same time. Yeah, from our own studies or our own research, we've seen where the stereotype of leadership and how really people need to start going beyond that stereotype and looking at other things. So question number three is from Mike Romeo from accounting major at Point Park. And this one's for you. Hmm. Our degree programs refine our ability to make great decisions rooted in data, number of facts and figures. I sometimes let this more analytical approach guide my decision-making process and ignore my instincts. How can I better balance these two to make better decisions 
in professional workplace? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think there's a desire, especially in the business community and perhaps elsewhere as well, that a lot of the times the decisions we make, we always want them to be rooted in some type of analytical evidence. And I think though that is important, I think it is a disservice to kind of forego some of the qualitative aspects of decision-making. Um, and in reference to this question, specifically kind of your instincts, right? And if you think about where your instincts come from, it, it's your experience, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could be looking at, you know, the best data in the world, perhaps, but if your gut or your instincts are saying, you know, something here isn't just right, you know, I think you have to get to the point where you start to acknowledge or identify that those instincts are telling you something, right? It may not change your your decision ultimately, but I think you need it to give it the appropriate attention uh, so that you can kind of just do that a little bit of additional due diligence, right? The other side is, you know, you've heard the phrase of paralysis by analysis, right? So you're in a situation where you just have so much data that you kind of just keep spinning your wheels and, and you kind of put off or, or really don't come to some decision at some point, you know, uh, same thing, right? So, I mean, if you're, you're looking at a data set and it's, it's a complete data set and it's giving you everything that you want to see at some point, you need to structure your decision-making process to then say, okay, I've got all the data that I'm going to get. that's reliable and valid. I've looked at it. I understand it but it, I need to now start to kind of go with my instincts based upon my experience in the field and make a decision. So, so I think long story short, you want to make sure that again, you're blending those two together because I think doing so gives you the chance to make what will hopefully be the right decision for you or your team or your company. Well, I was in a meeting right here not too long ago at the university with the, all the decision-making makers, the president, provost, and all these different VPs. And I had to bring up the question because they were sharing all this data. And it was all quantitative stuff. And I had to say to them, I said, wait, you know, I appreciate the quantitative studies that you've done and all the quantitative data that you've provided with us. And that's telling me there is a problem. But I said... What about the qualitative part of it? What have you gone out to try and find out why we have that problem? And they agreed with me. They said, yeah, that's the part we're probably missing. We need to get some qualitative. As you're saying, go out and look for ways to, I mean, why do we have this problem? Why is this data telling us there's a problem? What is it? And I don't think you can do that without qualitative. So I think you have to balance the two. And that's hard for somebody who's an accounting major. Numbers is their life. And I think sometimes we manage, organizations manage to just that number and they don't do the qualitative part of it or the due diligence to go out and find out, all right, how does this equate in real life? I mean, go out and talk to people and say, how does this impact? you or why we have this why is this good why is this bad i don't know maybe i'm 
on a tangent here. And way yeah, off. I think you're you're bringing up a really good point because we tend to kind of follow our area of expertise or our, or our roles and responsibilities, right? So if we're in a position that's heavily quantitative, that's right. our lens, right? Um, if you're in a position where you're more people-based, cultural-based, yeah. right, it, it tends to be a little bit more qualitative, right? right. So I think it's just human nature, right? So it's it's your job as you move into successive leadership positions. Um, the idea is to, as you said, go back to your to your leadership tool set and yeah. realize you got to kind of maybe use both of these skill sets, right, to make better decisions or make good decisions. Yeah. So. I like it. All right. You have the tough one to close us out today, Dennis. Are you ready? <laughs> we have a question from Sierra Bravo, who's a marketing and sales major. And they are asking, okay, so I have a weird question for the hosts. Uh, maybe it's sort of a personality test, but Angelo, Dennis, and Patrick, what is your favorite ice cream? <laughs> Dennis, yeah. on deck first. You just talked about that paralyzing moment where if anybody hasn't seen, what's his name? Schwartz is his name. Too many choices. Barry Schwartz, the paradox yeah. of choice. <laughs> yeah, paradox of choice. Barry Schwartz. If you haven't watched that, you have to watch it because that's kind of where I'm at this moment. And I would say that when I go into the... 31 flavors or whatever, 64 flavors. Um, I'm never, I'm never happy with my choice. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. have to say my go-to ice cream most of the time is mint chip, chocolate mint chip, or something with chocolate in it. Okay. Uh, but then again, I I wouldn't walk away from just a plain vanilla ice cream cone <laughs> either. So. Um, but again, I just think this is a perfect segue into, please watch that video. It's really cool. What's your favorite? I'm with you, actually. It is mint chocolate chip. Yeah, that oh, okay. is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, ice cream cone, but my most favorite is a mint chocolate chip milkshake. Hands okay. down. That's what I'm going with. So. Mint chip chocolate. Okay. Now, I mean, I've tried... I've mixed mint and done this like where I have four different flavors in one bowl. I think you could call it a. Uh, no, that's not um, happening. You can't do that. <laughs> can't happen it. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, but again, it, it's it's a hard choice. There's so many flavors out there. Moose tracks. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> so you're on a Ben and Jerry's train there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, wow. I'm I'm sticking with. Uh, Yep, mint chocolate chip, buddy. And don't forget, we live in a town that has the meadows, and they create that is all true. this new stuff. They that create is all true. this new stuff every day. So that I'm is constantly true. trying it out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all of you who submitted questions this week, we really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, keep them coming. Like I said, we enjoy uh, having the opportunity to answer them for you. And uh, love the range of questions too, right? So it's just not always business, management, leadership. It's those fun ones, music, food. Like you said, we we like to answer it all. So final thoughts on our show today as we begin to wrap it up, Dennis. Hey, just had a good time. Uh, I'm looking forward to future guests and continuing to uh, provide uh, some good stuff. Fantastic. Likewise. Well, Lisa, we enjoyed the opportunity that we had today. 
uh, to talk with Kate. And like you say, keep the questions coming. And we look forward to seeing you on a future episode. So we are now going to close out episode 34 of our Take the Hill podcast. And we'll see each of you really soon. Take care, everybody.